Well, we're uh, glad that you're with us, and we're, uh, I think, maybe on our final installment of the Rewire series, and we've been talking about this verse in uh, Romans chapter 12, specifically in verse number two, uh, don't conform, don't be pressed in, don't be shaped by the pattern of the world, right? This is kind of our premise for this whole series, is, is we always talk about the second part of the verse is about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's, that's one of the ways, it's one of the primary ways that we, so, see, you come to Jesus, right? So you come to Jesus and you're like, I, I'm a sinner, I need, I need to repent, of my sins. I need to repent of walking that way. I need to walk towards Jesus. I need to, I can't get to heaven by being good, right? I can't get to heaven on my own. But now I'm expected to live out this new life. Anyone ever found that to be difficult? (laughs) It is. So Paul gives us a clue in Romans chapter 12 here. And in verse number two, he talks about being transformed by changing the way we think. And a lot of us, we come to Christ and we try to think the same way that we've always thought. It's the same patterns of thinking that we've always had. And guess what? The same patterns of thinking get us, gets us the same old stuff, doesn't it? Am I just talking to me this morning? Are you feeling convicted? <laughs> I don't know. Are you just not interested? It's uh, the same way of thinking gets us the same results. And so Paul said, you need to be transformed. And one way that your transformation happens, how many want to be more like Jesus? Okay. Okay. That's good. All right. At least six of you. That's good. He said that one way that that transformation happens is you change what's going on between your ears. You change your thinking and that seemed, we, we kind of discard that, as, especially as charismatics, because we're like, we want the smoke and mirrors, right, and the altar calls and the lightning, and you know, like, we want the, like, I want to I just show up and bam and zap, right? I get, like, uh, just, whoo, and that does happen. Like, you, there's, there's people that that happens to. But the principle in the Word of God is that one of the ways that we become more like Jesus, stop looking like the world and look more like Jesus, is changing the way that we think. And so we've been camping out on the first part of this verse about not being conformed to the pattern of the world. So hoping that, hoping that as we identify some of these you're kind of nudging your neighbor. And you're like, ah, no, don't talk about them. Talk about you. Like, I think that might be, that might be, I kind of think like that a little bit. And we're identifying these patterns because we hear them. We hear them in our movies. We hear them in the songs. We hear them at our, at our workplace or on the water cooler. We hear them in, in politics. We just hear it everywhere. All of these patterns that are, that are at least fleshly inspired, if not demonically energized. Okay. We're on the same page. There's patterns of the world that are bad. Say bad. bad. They're bad. These are bad. All right? So we're going to talk about the patterns we've already talked about. Uh, first one we talked about is what I feel must be true. That's got to, what my feelings must be truth and reality. Bad. That's bad. That's a pattern of the world. And yet a lot of us in the church live like that. We feel it. We, 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 we exemplify that. So that's not true. We've got to change our thinking on that. The second one we talked about is that self is the ultimate authority. Like, I've got the right to decide everything for me, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. It's bad. Say bad. That's bad. That's, no, we don't want to live like that. Another pattern of the world we talked about last time is pleasure is the ultimate goal. 
That's something to be sought out as my pleasure. My fulfillment and my pleasure is the ultimate goal in life. That's bad. Say bad. That's bad. Okay, thank you. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. These aren't good. These are bad. These are patterns of the world that are at least inspired by the flesh, if not by the kingdom of darkness. Okay? The last one, I think, I think the last one we're going to talk about is today's, and it is, uh, here we go, you owe me. I deserve this and that and uh, everything else. And it's a, a spirit of entitlement. It's a spirit of entitlement. And it's a scary thing. And uh, one of the, a psychologist, and I'll let you pronounce her name, uh, but she's, she's defined it like this, a sense of entitlement refers to a personality trait where people believe they deserve special treatment or special recognition that they did not earn or deserve. They think that, quote, the world owes them. <sighs> Ever ran into anything like that before <laughs> in 2023? Uh, there is a, you guys are looking at me like I'm kind of sketchy here. I, I hope we're going somewhere good today. I don't know about you, but, but this philosophy, this feeling, this, it's a spirit. This spirit of entitlement creeps in. It creeps into your life. It creeps into my life. It creeps into our thinking. And it's, we're all good when we're like run into a Karen, right? And we're all like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, she thinks the world revolves around her. And we're, we're all pretty good talking about that. We're like, oh, that's so bad, right? And we're like, oh, nudge, nudge. And we're like, the world, this world's going around, Right? But it's a lot less funny when we find it in ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's a lot less comical when I see that same thing creeping up in my heart. And uh, I am, I, I'm pretty vulnerable as a preacher. Uh, that I do have a line. I have a limit. And I, I, I would love to share a story with you, and I'm not going to because it, it's, it's actually that painful. It's that repulsive to me. But I remember a specific moment. It was years ago. And it was, I mean, I was serving Jesus and loving God and thinking I was doing pretty good. And I remember a moment where this spirit had captivated my heart. And it was just a moment. And I never told anybody, and I never, there was no outward anything. So we're just going to keep that between me and Jesus, right? So if you were there, you wouldn't have noticed it. Or maybe you did, and you just didn't tell me. But um, fortunately, it was kind of behind closed doors. But I had a moment where someone had stuff or whatever, and I'm like, I should have that. I deserve that. Like and it, like and I was convinced and I I did not deserve it and I should not have had it. But I I remember this whole thing playing out in my mind of why this other person they don't they don't need all that and they should give that to me. End of the story, they did give it to me. And I didn't say I didn't say anything and I think that made me feel worse than right? And it was evil, and I like it. Like I was deciding if I was even going to share that much of the story because it 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 makes me physically sick. Yet, like it, like I want to weep when I think about that story. Like it just it makes me. You ever you ever have a sin in your life, and it just you can't even hardly think about it because it just makes you cringe at what you were thinking and what you were like. And I remember that moment, and I'm like Jesus, I don't ever want to think like this again. And fortunately, I never have again. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> I have and so have you. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, as much as it makes me shudder, I'm grateful for that moment to, to bring just into crystal clarity what kind of a demonic thought process that is. And it's ugly. Guys, it's ugly. It's ugly and it's, and it's animated by darkness. So, anyone ever watch the news at all or headlines or anything? Do you know there's uh, a lot of people that just walk into stores and take stuff now? They've got plenty. I should have some. Right? There's a spirit animating a lot of the world right now in church. We've got to be careful not to get caught up in that. We've got to be careful not to get caught up. I don't mean to just yell at us right off the bat here. We should define some stuff and talk about some things right before I get to the yelling part. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's so easy for us to slip in, for this stuff just to leach into our system. So, uh, let's talk about this destructive cycle. Uh, this is a, a PhD, Rick Nauert. Uh, anyways, he talks, about, he talks about a study here, and the, these next few slides are going to be about this study. And, I've, and I found this study on, on uh, like modern psychology and psychology today and, and a few different mental health sites. Uh, but I just picked this one to kind of walk through it. And so it says this, Case Western Reserve University, so this university, these researchers, discovered entitlement defined as a personality trait driven by exaggerated feelings of deservingness and superiority may lead to chronic disappointment. It leads to unmet expectations and a habitual self-reinforcing cycle of behavior. So we're just going to just a couple slides, a few slides about, about this just destructive cycle. I don't think I probably have to do these slides. I think, I think you guys get that this, this mindset is destructive. But I just want to just poke at it just a little bit before we flip over to the other side. So what, what he goes on to say is this. The study, based on a review of more than 170 academic papers, this is in the secular world, it outlines this cycle as a three-stage process. Number one... All right, first thing that happens when we're entitled, it creates a constant vulnerability to unmet expectations. We've all had unmet expectations, right? But what, what happens when a spirit of entitlement grips you is you get really susceptible. You have a weak immune system to disappointment. Are you with me? Right? We all get disappointed, right? We all, like, if, 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 we're living, if we're not living just in our home, if we explore the world at all, we all run into viruses and bacteria and whatever, and our body fights them off. Same thing with life. Anyone, anyone ever been through life and never been disappointed? <laughs> going once, twice? Okay. So we've all been disappointed. We all know what that feels like. But someone who has, has embraced this, and not wittingly, they just they don't know that they're doing it, but they're now entitled on some form of that scale. They're very vulnerable. They have a weakened immune system against vulnerability. We all get disappointed, or against uh, ex unmet expectations, increased vulnerability. Wow, that's great. Thanks, Pastor. You're preaching good. <laughs> So we, they're very susceptible to being disappointed. That's what I'm trying to say. Little things disappoint them. The second thing, then, is unmet expectations then lead to dissatisfaction and other volatile emotions. All right? So, oh, I thought you were going to bring a 20-pound turkey, not a 13-pound turkey. <sighs> right? 
Now we've got this visceral reaction. There's a volatile, right? Volatile. I thought my horse was going to be trained this week. James. Right? Tantrums much? Okay. And so then the third thing that happens is emotional distress. Look at this. This is what, this is what we see in the world. It demands a remedy. Emotional, my emotional distress, my emotion, my pony's not ready. That distress demands a remedy, leading to a reinforcement of superiority. Don't you know who I am? I don't deserve to not have my pony this week, James. (laughs) Right? This is funny. You're laughing because it's true in your life. It's true for me, too. But we're getting out of these patterns. And fortunately, most of us here, all, I mean, all of us here, we, they don't stay long, right? But if, but if you don't recognize this stuff, it camps out, and this becomes a part of who you are. These lies, the thing about them, they're sneaky and they're believable. They trick you into thinking they're true. I really am something special. I really do deserve Crystal not to talk to me like that. Can't believe her. She would never do that. She loves me. So he goes on to say, reacting to perceived injustices, entitled people may direct their anger outward, blaming others, while reassuring themselves of their own specialness, thus beginning the cycle again. Because the more special you reassure yourself are that, that you are, the more vulnerable you are to being disappointed. Because guess what? The rest of the world isn't camped on your specialness bandwagon. <laughs> so if you're the lone man on the I'm special bus, guess what? You're going to hit potholes all over because the whole rest of society hasn't figured that out yet. And then you get really angry. And then you need to reinforce again. I am. I can't believe. And you blame and you get angry and it it repeats again. And so it's this vicious, destructive cycle. He goes on to say this. Reassurance stemming from entitlement can provide temporary relief from the very distress caused by entitlement, said Julie Exline, co-author of the study. But these benefits are short-lived. Long-term consequences associated with entitled behavior includes, how many want to sign up for this? Poor relationships, interpersonal conflicts, and depression. The entire mindset pits someone against other people, Julie Exline said, because you're on the special bus, and everyone else just isn't getting it. So now it's you against the world, right? Because you know, because you know that everybody knows, except everybody doesn't know, just you know that you're special and deserve all this kind of special treatment that somehow doesn't seem to be coming your way. So now it's you against the world. When people think that they should have everything they want, often for nothing, it comes at the cost of relationships with others and ultimately at the cost of their own happiness. This is on a secular website. Okay, This is from the, from the mental health world saying, hey, guys, if you keep thinking like this, here's the result of it. Don't expect to be happy when you're expecting everyone to give you everything that you think you should have just because you think you should have it. It doesn't work like that. Here's a more, kind of the more Christian side. One Christian writer in her late 20s writes, quote, my generation is notorious for our attitudes of entitlement. We think we deserve more than when we do, more than we do, and when we don't get it, Our entitlement siren starts blaring. I like that line. 
And when it does, we often act irrationally in a way that looks foolish from the outside. The Karen alert, right? We start going off in a way because we're trying to resolve this inner truth that we know to be true, that I'm special and you need to treat me like I'm special and I don't care what you have, I should have some of that too. What do you mean you worked hard for years? I, I live my life too. You don't, you don't know, you can't judge me, so I should have your stuff too. And it's, it's ugly, but it's real. And we all dip our toe in that once in a while. And that's what's scary. Ray Kim says this, as long as our hearts are entitled, we're, we're, starting to, we're starting to poke at the church world just a little bit now. This is for you guys. As long as our hearts are entitled, personal growth in our relationship with God and with others will cease. Entitlement undermines intimacy because we get angry with God and with people around us when they don't give us what we want. In fact, the entitled life is one in which happiness is elusive, our heart remains dissatisfied, and we feel alone. Blah. The next one is from Dustin Crow. I've got a, I've got a few coming up later on from Dustin Crow, uh, but one right here says, Entitlement says that I deserve everything I have and then some. Listen to this. Blessings are viewed as rights and are demanded. Due to our pride and our sense of entitlement, we, listen, we greedily gobble up blessings without recognizing them as gifts. Let me read that last line again. We greedily gobble up blessings, blessings, blessings from heaven. We, we grab a hold of these blessings from God and we don't recognize them as gifts. Uh, kind of just to poke at that a little bit more, Jerry Bridges says, an attitude of entitlement prompts us to grumble about blessings not received instead of being grateful for those we have received. Anyone in pain yet? All right, okay. Just um, I didn't want it to be just me because you know what? You deserve some of that too. <laughs> You're entitled to feel some of the same pain and toe-stepping that I'm feeling. So I just wanted to make sure that I'm sharing because that's what would be fair. So as long as you are feeling miserable as well, then we're good. All right, so what's the cure for this mess? A gal named Anna Joy says this. The moment that we start to think that we deserve something is the moment that we cease to feel thankful for it. The moment that we think we deserve something is the moment that we cease to be thankful for it. And I found that to be so true in my life. And uh, we're just going to just poke at kind of the, what I think is one of the cures, one of the resistance. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're resisting the pattern of the world, which is entitlement. So how do we think now? We think with capital G, gratitude. Say gratitude. gratitude. Being thankful. Being, having a, a heart of gratitude towards the, the giver of all good gifts. Would you please welcome this morning one of America's newest Marines, Eric Green. Come on up, Eric.
So Eric, just hi. hi. Eric just got. Uh, you just came from where? Where? What city were you just in? Uh, MCRD, California, uh, San Diego. San Diego. All right. And what were you doing? What were you doing there? What have you been doing? How long have you been doing it? Uh, basic training is thirteen weeks. Twelve. I was there for twelve and a half. We got out early for Thanksgiving. So yeah, awesome. So grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So you were in basic training for Marines. You are now a Marine. Yeah, a boot, but still a Marine. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know everything. <laughs> Most of you can confirm I know very little. So that's uh, so you were telling me a story a couple days ago, and I just thought this was phenomenal. So what, what do you call those, the food that you eat, the, the things? Uh, the MREs. MREs, MREs, yes. So Eric was talking about eating MREs, yeah? And so was that a good experience or not a good experience? Or? Um, they were all right. I mean, we had to eat them cold, but the, the heating packets, so they're uh, like a plastic bag and you get a bunch of like little packets they're about a thousand calories they're supposed to last you a whole day so uh we usually got like three a day though so um yeah there's like little packets of uh sometimes the favorite one was santa fe rice and beans okay (laughs) (laughs) those were actually pretty good Uh uh-huh um so you just like add water to them or something or or um actually it's like canned food okay so but in a bag yeah yeah yeah, um, there's uh, some of them that you could, like, we put the heating packets in, and then oh. it would be able to warm them up. But okay. since we're in the desert, they didn't allow us to do that, and we didn't have time. <laughs> <laughs> right, because uh, it's, not, it's not a leisurely uh, 12 and a half weeks, is it? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> Your first couple days uh, at the mess hall, you were, like, they're just kind of, like... Yeah, so the first of everything was the worst. So, like, the first time we got to eat was probably five minutes. Uh-huh. They just kind of... I'm sure they were, like... Now try to hurry it up if you can, honey. Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> a lot a lot like that, yeah. So you were just talking about something that just, it, there's a reason that, that Eric is up here today, uh, other than we would like to celebrate you, but uh, you were talking about something really kind of special in the MREs that you guys got really excited about. What was that? Yeah, so uh, some, some of the MREs, uh, we started memorizing which ones had them, but they had uh, like a little pack of either Skittles or M&Ms or like Reese's Pieces in okay. them. Okay. And they were like the best thing ever. So, <laughs> how excited were you when you pulled that that ration open and you pulled out your little bag of skittles? It was it was pretty much Christmas yeah. every time we go open it, right? I mean, are we talking like a like a big bag of skittles? No, they they were just like the small bags of skittles. Yeah, but it was incredible. Yeah, it was it was. <laughs> It was like pretty much the best thing that you could eat in boot camp. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so what really, really struck me is because you, you said kind of all of you guys thought like, oh, Skittle, like, yes. Yeah. And so then you got, a, you got out or you had your break or whatever. And so you went to the store. And what was that experience like going and seeing kind of all the candy? So, yeah, for if we're eating these uh, MREs and like disappointed because we didn't get Skittles or if we got them, they were just like the best thing ever. You know, you'd like devour each Skittle one at a time uh-huh. if you can, or just like try and save a few. Right. Because, uh, you know, they're so rare and it's like right. you appreciate it so much. Right. And then, uh, so me and my buddies, we were, we got out for family day and then we went to, uh, they have a little like a Marine Mart, they call it. And you go in there and we were all, you know, we we're like, oh, we're going to buy like huge bags of Skittles. We're going to spend like a hundred dollars at the gas station uh-huh. when we get out. We all said that. Uh, so we, then we went into this Marine Mart and there's like, you know, anything you want. There's, uh-huh. there's 
rows of Reese's and yep. all candy, ice cream. Uh-huh. And you're like, you know, I mean, you want to buy it, but it's like once you actually taste it, you're like, these Skittles, like, they, t- they almost taste different than what mm-hmm. they were in the field because yep. they were so, like, you enjoyed them so much more. You're uh-huh. more thankful for them. Right, right. <laughs> I'll save these for a rainy day. Yes, thank you. give Eric a hand. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at look at this. Our level of joy is directly proportional to our level of gratitude. When Eric talked about I just when, when he, he was, we were standing in our entryway at our home, a bunch of us standing around there, and when he got to the part about, about going to the store, he's like, he's like, we're so excited, we're all going to buy, we're just going to get Skittles and M&M's and candy, and, and he, I watched his body language, and when you got to that part of where you were just looking over all the candy, you just, you stopped, and you almost got a little sad, and you just, here's what he said, there was just so much of it. And he just kind of stopped. And that just hit my heart. And I've heard for years, for years, different people in different ways of saying it, but people that have come from other countries and have come to America. And I've never quite understood it. Like, I, I know what they're saying, but they would always, one of the first things they would always say, there's so much. There's just so much. There's so much. And it's not easy for joy to be sustained in the midst of abundance. Abundance is a God thing. We're supposed to live in abundance. That's why gratitude is so important, and that's why generosity is the flip side to abundance. It's, it, that's the key. That's the key. Okay, so we're, this is not a message on gratitude, but that's, that's the key to staying mentally and emotionally healthy is being the conduit to just let it flow through. Abundance is not bad, but the, added, the, the environment of abundance is not conducive to joy. We think, I'll be joyful when I get more. Eric was joyful when he got less. Why? Because he's spoiled? Absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. No, because he was put in a position where all of a sudden we're really grateful. I'm grateful for it. Like every Skittle now held a special place in his heart, right? This week, like, there's a rule in the Snaza house. You do you, I'm doing me. Listen, garland and Christmas trees don't go up until that turkey is well rested, okay? <laughs> all right, but as soon as the cranberries have settled, all right, now we can put Christmas decorations up. And once we started doing that, then we can play Christmas music too. And Callie has walked through the house like this. <gasps> the whole weekend, Christmas, Christmas, oh, that's like nonstop. What if we walked through life like that, in awe and full of gratitude? What if that's really true? Hey, you guys are just sitting, listening to a message. You're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny, Pastor. You kept me awake. That's good. All right. What if that's really true? What if, what if this is really true? That your level of joy is proportional to your level of gratitude. What if that's true? What if I'm not just blowing smoke? What if that really is true? What if you could, does anyone want to be more joyful? You want to experience more joy. Okay. 
You're kind of a little hesitant. He's like, I feel like we're being trapped. But <laughs> so let's just say if by, let's, we're just going to use some arbitrary numbers here. Let's just say by being more grateful, let's say you just really worked on it and you're just going to, you're going to not take anything for granted anymore. You're just going to really recognize the blessing that you have in your life. You're just going to be grateful, right? Let's say you can increase your joy, your gratitude level and your joy level by 40%. Okay, let's say you're awake 15 hours a day, all right? A 40% increase in joy, that's six hours more joy in your life. It doesn't work like that. But let's just say that we're doing a math problem here. This, isn't, this is less of a life problem and more of a math problem. Okay, let's just say, now you got 40%, for a 40% increase in joy, you've got six hours a day now that you're joyful, that you weren't before. Times seven days a week, that's 42 hours a week. You've got a whole work week full of joy just by upping your level of gratitude. If someone had came up and said, I'll give you this envelope, and I promise that for 40 hours a week, you'll just be filled with joy. You'd be like, dude, can I get two? Right? And the word of God is saying, if you level up your gratitude, your thankfulness, your joy rises with it. You don't be thankful and then try to be joyful. We're thankful and the joy comes naturally, doesn't it, Eric? <laughs> oh, purple one. Oh, I love the purple, right? Oh, right? If we were that thankful for every moment that we get to spend with one another, for every friendship that we have, I bet we'd be way less annoyed by things, right? Our level of joy would increase. So let's, let's not have to be put in a situation where we have less to appreciate more. Amen. Amen. I think that's good. Uh, I'm going to probably get in trouble. I get... I, I always say I'm going to get in trouble. I usually don't, so I'm going to hope, hopefully this holds true to the pattern. But uh, my friend Aaron over there, I'm telling on you, if this is this is bad, just come and clobber me over the head, tackle me. Can I can I do it? Okay. Uh, my friend Aaron, you know, gave his life to the Lord pretty recently, and uh, has has had some rough times in your life, haven't you? Been homeless at times, and you, you know, been just been in a lot of situations that a lot of us would not want to be in. And he was here Wednesday night for the Thanksgiving service. And he just, he had to grab my arm and pull me over. I'm like, whoa, dude, what's up? You're getting really just aggressive here. What's that? Don't beat me up. What, is, what are we doing? And he said, I got to tell you what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, tell me. He's like, and he said, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this for publicity. I, I just, I'm doing this because it's in my heart. I said, okay, I guess it's getting serious. What, what are we doing? He said, I had to come back here. Because I got some friends that have a bunch of kids and they don't have anything for Thanksgiving. So I'm buying them a meal. I'm so excited. I'm like, dude, I'm so excited. So was that, was that painful? Was it not a pleasant experience? Was it joyful? It was joyful. That's what keeps abundance. He's like, I'm in a place now with God that my life is being blessed in a way that I'd never, ever dreamt possible. I never thought I'd be where I'm at now. So I just want to give it back because I know what it's like to be where they're at. And I just want to give that back. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. May we all live like that. May we all be stirred to live like that. And I know you guys are, but I'm just saying, man, that's a good thing. And Voskamp. 
one of Marnie's favorite uh, authors, I think, says, uh, in naming that which is right before me, that, like looking at, looking at what I've got right before me, that which I'd otherwise miss, the invisible becomes visible. The art of deep seeing makes gratitude possible. And it's the art of gratitude that makes joy possible. Man, this is so good. Living in the reality of grace, Daniel Henderson says this, living in this reality leads to profound daily gratitude. Just what Anne was saying, recognizing how much God has given us, how much grace is in our life. A chronic spirit of complaint is a sure indicator of an attitude of entitlement. Gratitude, on the other hand, see how it's the reverse of entitlement? Gratitude is, is the habit of a humble, unworthy child sufficiently cared for by a loving and always good father. Man, we got to boogie through a couple verses here, but Second uh, Timothy 3 says, this is a verse we shared last time. We're talking about pleasure, but here's another one. You, sh- you should know this. It'll be difficult times. This is chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and what? Ungrateful. Uh, every time that you are harboring and cultivating a spirit of ungratefulness, just remember that that... Paul told Timothy that would be a sign of the demonic end times. <laughs> Merry, Merry Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not to be harsh, but I kind of want to like shock us into reality with our little grumblers. We all do it, but what are we doing? We're, we're buying into an end time spirit here of ungratefulness. And just like Anne and the other guy were talking about recognizing what's right in front of me, Right? How many of you would just give anything for just 10 more minutes with a loved one that's gone or, or just, you know, have that car that you sold back when you were 20 and you wish you, you, wish you would have kept it your whole life, right? Every guy's got one of those stories. And then Romans, you guys know this verse as well. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or what, what's their big heinous sin that they did? They didn't give thanks. They didn't give thanks. They didn't recognize the blessing of God and turn their hearts towards heaven and say, thank you, God. But they're thinking, hold on. The very act of you not giving thanks is a precursor to a warped mind. If you want mental instability and poor emotional health, go ahead and grumble. They knew God, but they didn't give him thanks, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I don't know about you, but why dabble on the doorstep of the demonic? Let's just bow our hearts to the author and finisher of our faith. God, you're so good. Lord, you let me wake up today. I had a bed that was warm. I could sleep in. I've got heat in my house. Well, some of us do. My parents are struggling. There's going to be a benefit for them later. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're ordering a new furnace. But, um, but the act of giving thanks protects it. I want to, I want to show you something real quick here. Uh, fishes, loaves, and, inter- and an eternal impact. Look at this story. You guys know this story, okay? So 5,000 here. Jesus said, have the people sit down. You guys know We don't have time to set up the story, but you guys know it. You've read the book of John. This is the book of John, chapter 6. 
There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. We've read this a hundred times. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. About 5,000 men plus women and children were there. This was a miracle of God, right? This was a huge thing. This This was something that you and I have never seen. They kept breaking the bread and kept breaking the fish, and people kept getting fed. They cleaned up, uh, I think it was 12 basketfuls afterwards, 12 or 7, I forget which, which one goes with which story. But, but in the middle of this miraculous moment, people are seeing the power of God. They're seeing the glory of God as this, he just keeps breaking it. It just keeps coming. He just keeps, like, I, he's like, Daddy, Daddy, he just keeps pulling it off. The, like, where is it all coming from? I don't know, son. Let's just eat. It's free meal, right? Just they're, they're getting fed. Like, not just spiritually, they're getting fed physically, fishes and loaves, thousands of people getting fed, right? This is John, right? It's in verses 10 and 11. Look at right there, 10 and 11, John 6, 10 and 6, 11. We're going to go to John 6, 22 and 23, and I want you to note something. This is still John writing. This is still John's gospel. This is just 10 verses later, nine verses later. He says this, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. So this is kind of the aftermath, but that they'd gone away. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Let me highlight that. Listen, this is how John describes the place of the miracle that fed 5,000 men plus women and children. The miracle of God where God, Jesus broke open the bread and it kept going and it kept going. And I watched that group of 25 over there. They ate. I watched. He just had one loaf of bread. There was just one fish and he kept tearing it apart and it kept being more and it kept being more and it kept being more. And I watched all of those kids eat. And then I watched all of those guys eat. And then afterwards we were leaving. We were going home. But I was like, Dad, wait, they're picking up baskets. There was 12 baskets of food left over. I watched that miracle. And here's how John records it. He records it as the place that the Lord gave thanks. Come on! What in the, this impacted John so much. Let me show you my, I took a screenshot of my Bible. My Bible says this, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's not how John explained it. John's writing John's gospel, and he's telling the people for all of posterity, for all of humanity, what place that boat landed at. Hey, some of those boats landed at that place. I would say, because I'm very humble, I'd say, where I, one of the inner crew of Jesus, got to watch the miracle of God as he fed 5,000 plus women and children. And we'd probably get a pretty good count so we could see how many, how miraculous this thing really was. The headline of my Bible says Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's a big deal. That's how I would record it. And a little bit later, John's like, the boats landed at that place. And, and maybe one of the guys like, which place? The place where they fed the 5,000? No. They landed at the place where the Lord had given thanks. Holy macaroni, Batman. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. John was so moved by that miracle that when he recorded it, he recorded it as the place, the place that people had eaten the bread. That's not miraculous. Raise your hand if you've eaten bread. Big miracles here. Okay. (laughs) You know what he wrote down where they ate the bread after Jesus gave thanks? 
Guys, that had to be something powerful. I watched, I watched God thank God for what was about to happen. Do you think the disciples and the writers of the scripture might have known something that we might miss? Ever? Maybe just once? Come on. The place where the Lord had given thanks. The rest of John's life, as they walked by that shore, that's where Jesus gave thanks. Man, I saw something so powerful. What'd you see, Daddy? I saw Jesus give thanks right there. I watched Jesus connect with his Father in heaven and be thankful. Was that, was that when the bread kept going? Yeah, the bread kept flowing. But, but you know what? What if the real miracle is in the giving of thanks? What if that's where the miracle is at? What if that's where the provision is? What if that's like we already know that that's where the miracle of joy is, is in the giving of thanks. Our joy rises when our gratitude rises. We're running long. Let me finish up real quick because there's some, there's some good stuff. We're winding down here. This uh, Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks is the book that some of these quotes come out of. Behind every good gift is a kind giver. Thankfulness takes us from the object received to its source. Thankfulness for something leads us to thankfulness for someone. What we're thankful for points us to who we're thankful to. He goes on and says this, as we give God thanks, we delight in what we discover about him. Thanksgiving leads to knowing God more fully, which leads to trusting in God more, worshiping God more, loving God more. It creates intimacy between the giver and the recipient. Jesus stood there as one with the Father. He said, I thank you, Father, that you've given us this little boy who's given us all his lunch today, and you're going to use it for your glory. That's where, that's where the miracle happened. And he says this, last slide, we're done. As our faith and joy in God increase through thanksgiving, it cuts off the food supply to sin from ingratitude and idolatry. It's not an afterthought. Listen, this is, we think thanksgiving, we think being grateful, we think gratitude is, is kind of like a, it's like an extra thing. Like we're going to be holy and we're going to love Jesus and then, well, we should be thankful too. Yeah, we'll get on that sometime. He says, it's not an afterthought of the Christian life or the cherry on top of our spiritual disciplines. It's not something we get to when we think of it or when all of our spiritual ducks are in a row. Giving thanks is an essential, life-giving part of the Christian life. It changes us. How many think you can do a half a percent better in being grateful? Okay, I just, as I was just preparing this, man, my heart was just so moved. It's just when I just read that in John, it just it sucked the breath out of me. I'm like, that's how he remembers that moment. I would remember it as feeding 5,000. John remembers it as that's, that's where I saw Jesus be thankful. Wow. I watched Jesus give thanks. That's how he wrote it. That's how, read your own Bible. Don't believe me. Read your own Bible. John chapter 6. In fact, read the whole chapter. It's all good. It's the word of God. And John's like, that spot right there. How many lives are we going to impact? 
as people are telling their kids and grandkids, man, that's where I saw them be thankful. Whoa. I watched them get the report. I watched them not have enough. I watched them struggle. I watched them in a bad scenario. I watched them with abundance. And you know what I saw? Right there, right in that spot, I watched them be full of gratitude. They were so thankful. They didn't have anything, but they were so thankful. They had everything. They had more, way more than I'll ever have, and they were thankful for a Skittle. I don't know which one says more, the person that has nothing that's so grateful or the person that has everything that's so grateful. They're both an attitude of the heart and a spirit of God and a discipline. But I want to walk in gratitude more. Amen? Hmm. God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. God, I want to thank you. Thank you for the grace that is upon this group of people today to learn and to grow and to become like Jesus. And most of all, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you uh, for not doing it just for you, but for giving your life for an entire world, God. God, we're just so grateful this morning. Help us to walk in a spirit of gratitude, not of complaining or grumbling or, or uh, just being ungrateful. But we, just, we pray that you would help us to walk in abundant joy, by being abundantly grateful. We just bless you today in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.